Last month, we finished a series of six sermons on the subject of taming the tongue. And I had some, I had some good and positive comments on that series of lessons, and, and I really appreciate those. And, and I hope that everybody gains some beneficial information from that, from that study and that series. And in that last sermon in the series, last month, I mentioned that we would begin a new series today on the topic of the number one problem in the Bible. Now, I don't know if anybody has given any thought or study on what that number one problem might be. But it's a problem that's mentioned in the Bible about 1,500 times. That's a lot. It's a problem that more than 50 of the laws in the first five books of the Old Testament are directed against. Under the Mosaic law, it was one of only four sins to which the death penalty was attached. Now, sin is sin. Sin is sin. And all sin is transgression in the sight of God. But the number one problem that the Bible addresses, the sin mentioned most often is the problem of idols and idol worship. Idols and idol worship. I'm calling this series Counterfeit Gods. And the sermon today is going to be the, the series, you might say, introduction. And I'm calling the sermon today, Idolatry is the Problem. Idolatry is the problem. Now, in our modern world today, and in the 21st century church today, we may not hear a lot of sermons and lessons on this subject. And we may tend, we might tend to, you could say, blow off or skip over this subject as being outdated or old-fashioned, not relevant, not important to us today in the year 2022. But you know, in reality, nothing could be further from the truth. This subject is in no way out of date or irrelevant. You know, we might think that the big problem in our time today is that people don't worship any God. But actually, it's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. People today worship too many gods. 
And that can be true even in the church, with members of the church. And that's us. Idols and idol worship are part of the war that Satan is waging for our hearts and lives today. There is a pantheon of counterfeit gods, little g gods, we're going to call them, that are competing for our attention and allegiance today. Every day, every single day, we are bombarded with messages of power, success, entertainment, wealth, and pleasure. And through those things, Satan is trying to convince us that our lives are somehow incomplete. But they can be made complete by chasing after all of these things that promise us happiness and fulfillment. But the end result, the end result is actually spiritual death. I want you to imagine a man who has been coughing constantly, nonstop. He has a cough that keeps him up half the night, every night. It interrupts any conversation he tries to have. The cough is so persistent that he finally goes to the doctor. And the doctor runs a lot of tests. And the results come back and the tests show that the man has cancer. But knowing how tough the news will be for the man to handle, the doctor decides not to tell the man that he has cancer. But instead, he writes a prescription for some strong cough medicine, and he tells the man that he should feel better soon. Well, the man is happy, naturally, to hear that, that diagnosis. And sure enough, medicine helps. And he feels better. And he sleeps better. But meanwhile, the cancer is still there. The cancer is still there, eating away at his body. The point is that when we treat the symptoms rather than the cause, like the doctor did, we don't help anybody. And you know, the same thing is true when all that we're concerned about are the symptoms that surface in our lives. Symptoms like stress, cheating, lusting, Spending, worrying, medicating, and quitting. And if we only focus on those symptoms rather than the underlying causes, 
then we're missing the real problem. And the real problem, the true illness, is often idolatry. You know, if we start, you might say, scratching and digging at whatever problem in life we're dealing with, we may eventually find that behind the problem is an idol, a false god of some kind that we're worshiping. And until that little G God is dethroned and the Lord God takes his rightful place in our lives, we will not grow spiritually. And so idolatry is not just an issue, but it's really the issue, the problem. You know, for us today, living in the year 2022, the word, the term idolatry may conjure up pictures like this one on the screen of ancient people bowing down before statues. In the ancient world of New Testament times, every city worshipped its favorite deities, false gods. They built shrines around their, their images, their statues for worship. When the Apostle Paul traveled to the great city of Athens, he saw that Athens was literally filled with images of all these false gods. Acts 17 verse 16 says that his spirit was provoked within him when he saw, look at it, that the city was given over to idols. Today, in the city of Nashville, there is a full-size replica of the biggest of the temples that was built in Athens. And many of you, maybe most of you, have seen it. It's called the Parthenon. The original Parthenon in Athens was built to honor the goddess Athena that the city was named after. And there is a large replica of the goddess Athena inside the Nashville Parthenon today. There were other temples built in ancient Athens to honor other false gods that the people worshipped. And most of them were built on a high rocky hill in Athens called the Acropolis that overlooks the city. I've been there. I've been there and I've walked on the Acropolis and I've seen the ruins of those ancient temples. Like the original Parthenon in, in this picture that I took when I was there. I stood on Mars Hill, which is near the Acropolis, where Paul preached to the philosophers of Athens about their unknown God Jehovah God, that Paul proclaimed to them in the text that Mike read in Acts 17. 
Statues of false gods and deities were built in every public space all over the city. There were 12 principal false gods that were worshipped by the people of Athens. There was Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. There was Apollo, the god of the sun. There was Ares, the god of war. There was Artemis, the goddess of hunting. There was Athena that we already mentioned. She was the goddess of war. There was Demeter, the goddess of agriculture. There was Dionysus. He was the god of wine. There was Hephaestus, the god of craftsmanship. There was Hera, the goddess of marriage. There was Hermes, the god of herds and flocks. There was Poseidon, the god of the sea. And there was Zeus, the god of the sky. And besides those 12, there were many other local gods that the people of Athens worshipped. But you know, in reality and practice, our modern world today is not fundamentally different from the ancient world, like in Athens. Because each age has its own set of idols. Each age has its own priesthoods, <clears throat> its own totems, rituals, and shrines. Theirs just had different sizes and designs than ours. Ours today might look like great office towers or health spas or fitness centers or gymnasiums or huge stadiums. In Colossians 3 verse 5, the apostle Paul wrote, Put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Paul plainly says there that greed is not just bad behavior, but greed is idolatry. You know, we can make money, wealth, and earthly possessions into a little g God. And then our relationship with it becomes worship and idolatry. One commentator today says the human heart is an idol factory. In Ezekiel 14 verse 3, God said about the elders of Israel, he said, these men have set up idols in their hearts. And just like us, just like us, those elders of Israel might have responded to that charge. They might have said, idols? What idols? We don't have any idols. What God wants us to see and understand is that the human heart 
the human heart can take a good thing like a career or love or material possessions, even family, and turn it in, turn any of those into the ultimate, most important thing in life. In our hearts, we can take that good thing and deify it and make it the center of our lives, the foundation of our lives because we believe that whatever it is can give us importance and security, safety, and fulfillment. One of the most important things that I hope everybody can learn as we go through this series of lessons is that anything, anything can become an idol. Anything. So what is an idol? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that captures your heart more than God. Anything that you seek after to give you what only God can truly give becomes an idol. As I mentioned, I'm calling this series of lessons Counterfeit Gods. And after this introduction lesson today, I'm planning, my plans right now are for six more sermons on these things, six things that can become counterfeit gods, little g gods in our lives, such as the God of entertainment, the God of money, the God of family, the God of food, the God of success, and the God of me. Now that may not be the order of the lessons, but those are the the subjects, the topics that I'm right now planning to cover. A counterfeit God is anything so important and essential to your life that if you should lose it, you might feel like life is just not worth living. A counterfeit God or an idol has such a controlling position in your heart that you can spend most of your time and energy, most of your emotional and financial resources, or whatever it is, on that without a second thought. It can be family and children, or career and making money. It can be achievement and praise from others or social standing. It can be a romantic relationship. It can be peer approval or ability and skill 
It can be your looks or your brains or great political or social cause. A counterfeit God or an idol is whatever you look at and you say in your heart of hearts, if I can have that, if I can just have that, then I'll feel that my life has meaning. And I'll know that I have value. And then I'll feel important and secure. If anything becomes more fundamental than Jehovah God to our happiness and who we are, then it becomes a counterfeit God, an idol. So this morning, in this introduction to the series, let's talk about, let's talk about three categories that idols fall into. First of all, there are personal idols. Personal idols. These could include romantic love and family, or money, power, and achievement, access to particular social groups, or emotional dependence of others on you, or health, fitness, and physical looks. Now, unfortunately, many people, even Christians, can be tempted to look to these things for the hope and the meaning and the fulfillment that only God can provide. Personal gods, personal idols. Secondly, there are cultural idols. And these could include military power, technological progress, economic prosperity. Now, all of those are good things that can become idols within a society or a nation because they promise us safety and peace and happiness if only we base our lives primarily on them. Thirdly, there are intellectual idols, sometimes called ideologies, like humanism or communism or socialism. Those can take a wrongful place and become an idol when people trust more in them than in God. which is happening today in our own country, especially with that one. Today, most kids in school study at some point what a metaphor is. It may ring a bell with the kids in here, some of them. A metaphor. A metaphor is a word or phrase for one thing that is used to refer to something else, to show how the two things are similar. 
And you know, the Bible uses three basic metaphors to describe how people relate to the idols of their hearts. Number one, they love idols. Number two, they trust idols. And number three, they obey idols. The Bible sometimes speaks of idols using a, a marriage metaphor. That's loving idols. When we love and desire other things more than God, then we are committing spiritual adultery, you might say, because we're loving the wrong thing. So the Bible sometimes speaks of idols using a religious metaphor, trusting idols. God should be our true, real Savior. But if we look to personal achievement or financial prosperity to give us peace and security, then we're worshiping a different God and we're trusting in the wrong thing. And the Bible sometimes speaks of idols using a political metaphor. Obeying idols. God should be our only king and Lord and master. But if we serve and give allegiance to something else besides God, then we're obeying the wrong thing. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses stood on Mount Sinai and he received the Ten Commandments from God. And do you remember what the first of those commandments was? We've all had that in Bible classes. Exodus 20, 1 through 3 tells us, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Here it is. You shall have no other gods before me. Now when God issued that command on Mount Sinai, God's people, the Israelites, were familiar with a lot of little g gods. Remember that the Israelites had spent more than 400 years in Egypt as slaves. And Egypt was filled with idols, false gods. The Egyptians had idols and false gods for every district in the country. Now when we read in Exodus 20 verse 3 that God said, You shall have no other gods before me, you know, that might make us think about a ranking of gods from low to high or bottom to top, like the pyramid or the ladder on the screen. And God must be at the top in first place, above all the other little g-gods. Some of you right now might be thinking, that's exactly, that's exactly what that verse in Exodus 20 verse 3 means. 
But actually, that's not at all. That's not at all what God meant by that command in Exodus 20, verse 3. A better translation of that verse might be, you shall have no other gods besides me or in my presence. In fact, the English Standard Version of the Bible If you have a copy, you can go home and look it up. The English Standard Version of the Bible has a footnote for the word before in that verse that says, besides. So here's the point. God isn't interested in competing with other gods or being the first at the top of the pyramid or the ladder above many others. God's not going to be a part of any ranking of gods. God doesn't have room for partial gods or honorary gods or second or third or fourth or fifth place gods. And God isn't that way because he is insecure, but because only one God is truly God. And what was the second of those Ten Commandments? In the same chapter, Exodus 24 and 5 says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. Now the point of that second commandment is that anything in the world can be made into an idol and therefore can become a false or counterfeit God. You know, I've always thought it was so ironic that at the very time, at the very time that Moses was up on Mount Sinai and God was telling Moses about having no other gods before him or making a carved image to worship. At that very time, the Israelites were down to the foot of the mountain doing what? Rigging up a counterfeit god. While Moses was up on the mountain with God, the Israelites down below began to whine and complain. It was taking too long. Moses had left his brother Aaron in charge. And the people began clamoring for God to lead them. And so Aaron, in his weakness, had the people gather up all their gold and they melted it in the fire, and Aaron crafted a golden calf for the people to worship. I like what the psalmist said in Psalms 106 about their behavior at the foot of Mount Sinai. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a metal image 
They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. Now, would you agree that that was not a good trade? They traded the Creator God for a God of their own creation. They traded the God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who is holy and loving for a little g-god of something that eats grass and moves. But you know, are we today any different? Are we any different when we replace God with things of our own creation? When we replace God with, for example, a house that we're never satisfied with. And we constantly always upgrade it. Or a job promotion that comes with a pay raise and some perks. Or a team that wins the championship. Or a body beautiful, toned and fit. Or social media and how many likes we can get. Or a hobby or pastime that we love. Or a happiness of our own making. Whatever it is. You see, anything can become an idol once it becomes a substitute for God in our lives or takes the place that God should have. So how can we identify what our idols are today? Well, one way to do that, one way to identify them is to ask ourselves some, some questions, some probing questions like these. Question number one. What disappoints you the most? What disappoints you the most? When we feel just overwhelmed by disappointment, that may be a pretty good sign that something has become way more important to us than it ought to be. Maybe we have put our hope and our, our trust and our longing in something else besides God. Question number two, what do you complain about the most? You know, what we complain about shows what really and truly matters to us. Whining shows what has power over us. Question three, where do you make your financial sacrifices? Ooh, now we're getting on thin ice, aren't we? In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where our money goes shows what God is winning our, our hearts. 
in our lives. We'll talk more about that in the sermon on the God of money. Question number four. What worries you the most? What do we fear the most? If the idea of losing something absolutely terrifies us, then maybe it has too high a place in our lives. If the fear of being ridiculed or rejected controls us, then maybe the idol of self is on the throne. Whatever it is that wakes us up or keeps us awake at night has the potential of being an idol. Question number five. What are your dreams, your aspirations? And that's an important question, especially for younger folks. So kids and teens, listen up right here. Do you dream of becoming a professional athlete and making billions of dollars or winning many awards or having a lot of letters before or after your name? Now, aspirations are, are good and fine. But the question is always why, why you aspire to those things. Is your motivation to use your talents to God's glory or to your own? Question number six. What really infuriates you? Everybody has a hot button or two that really gets under our skin. You do and I do. Are you so competitive that you can't stand to lose? What happens if you get stuck in traffic or somebody cuts you off or drives too close to you? What happens if somebody embarrasses you or criticizes you or doesn't treat you with enough respect? You know, those can all be signs of the most basic idol of them all. And that's the God of me, the idol of self. And one sermon in this series is going to be on that subject. Question number seven, where is your sanctuary? In other words, where do we go when we're hurting? To whom or to what do we turn for comfort or escape? Is it TV? Is it food? Marital affairs? Pornography? Alcohol? Other drugs? Psalmist says in Psalms 46 verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. 
But has God been replaced or substituted by something else in our lives? If so, if so, that's an idol. That's an idol. There is only one God, one true God, who is worthy of our worship and through whom we can find forgiveness and fulfillment of all of our needs and longings. But there are many, many other false, counterfeit, little g-gods that Satan is using to try to bring us down. The human heart is the battleground for the spiritual war that's taking place in our lives. And that's why Solomon wisely wrote in Proverbs 4.23, he said, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And that's why Jesus taught that this is the first and greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Part of obeying that commandment includes becoming and being a part of God's family, the church. And if you're not a part of the church today, then Christ invites you to accept his invitation. And you can do that by believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And by turning away from your sins in repentance. And then by confessing the name of Christ, making him the Lord of your life. And then by being immersed in the waters of baptism, baptized for the remission of your sins. And then by living a new and a faithful life in Christ and dethroning the counterfeit gods that we've talked about today. If you need to respond to the invitation of Christ this morning in any way, to confess sin in a public way or to ask for the prayers of the church or to obey the gospel, we invite you today to come as together we stand and sing.